take your Bibles and head to Genesis 7. This is an apologetic study. So today I'm gonna delve into the world of a few things that would be more excursus related, science related. I don't like the idea that uh, certain people in the world of science say you Christians should just stay in the lane of faith and we'll deal in reality. No friends, Christianity is reality. The Bible is reality. And I wanna shore you up. If you're a Christian today, I want you to be shored up. But like someone we were talking with last hour, if you're on the bubble, man, I want you to come into the family. You can see God's word is in perfect accordance with reality. Big shout out and thank you to Jeff and Debbie McElroy for a great marriage conference this weekend. We had a lot of fun. It was tremendous. Big shout out and thank you to you guys for approving unanimously a four and a half million dollar addition to our campus, the Grace Performing Arts Center. Thank you for doing that Wednesday night. Also, our hearts should be heavy and we should be in prayer for Turkey and Syria. This earthquake has taken the lives of approaching 30,000. Many experts say there could be 50,000 or more dead. And my friends, one thing I know having been there about that part of the world is that Christians are few and far between. And whether it's Christians or non-Christians, we should be devastated by such loss of life, but particularly for those who stepped into eternity without the Lord Jesus. It should reignite our urgency to go down the street and around the world to let them know Christ. We have given a substantial monetary gift this week because of your generosity through Grace Global Outreach or Grace Go. So thank you when you give to that. It helps in so many ways. And we have given that gift through our sin relief efforts. And um, a couple of other quick things. Tim Hawkins is coming to Grace. Make sure you get tickets. They will sell out and likely quickly. So if you love Chick-fil-A seven times a day, come see Tim Hawkins. He's a great Christian comedian, a lot of fun. And then last thing, I need you to help me love your neighbor well. I've been told by some of our sweet folks that need handicapped parking that some folks have parked in handicapped parking spaces the last few weeks without handicapped tags or licenses. Shame, shame. We have high def cameras everywhere. We know your name. If you don't have the proper tag, don't take their space. Don't take expectant mother parking. Men, just because it's swelling a little on the front like mine, don't take their parking. It's a rainy day, I get it. You wanna get close, guest parking is for guests. Once you become part of the family, you move out to love your neighbor. Please pay attention to those things. We don't wanna go through the parking lot with tickets. At seminary, when they would ticket our cars, not mine, of course, but the heathens, when they ticketed, they always quoted Romans 13 to obey the governing authorities. It made me so mad, but obey the authorities. Thank you for understanding. So today is as apologetic-y as it gets. Apologetics, apologia, to make a reasoned defense for the faith, for the hope that lies within us, as the Bible would say. I wanna give you that reasoned defense today. I think it is important for us to know that the world as we see it does accord with the Bible. The Bible is not a science book. It doesn't tell us everything we want to know, but it tells us everything we need to know. And when we look at our world and our history through the lens of God's created order and the, the catastrophe known as the flood, we really do begin to understand the world better. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to review quickly after we say this verse, because this is an important verse. Genesis 7, 5. Say it with me. Ready? And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Now I'm grateful for that, y'all. 
I'm grateful for that ALL because he didn't just build the boat, he boarded the boat. And we learned some things last week. When the world is underwater, make sure you're, on, you're in the boat. I kind of feel like the world's underwater. I kind of feel like we're getting back there, not by a universal flood, but just as things are uh, devolving, as they're moving away from God's standard. But remember that Noah had to have instruction and he had to follow that to precisely build the boat. But then he had to follow God's directions really quickly, right? Promptly to board the boat. And you see that. He had to get on and his family had to get on board lest they would be lost. And then God's grace and Noah's faith led to his salvation. I don't mean Noah saved himself. And I don't mean Noah deserved it or that Noah was just this perfect guy. But he did find favor in the eyes of the Lord. And God had granted him this gift of faith and God had given his grace. And so we have the salvation and deliverance of his household. Now, what I want to do here is I want to reread the chapter. And if you were not here last week, you really should go back, try to listen, try to watch, try to catch up on what God is saying here. But I'm I'm not... I'm not doing what I normally do. I normally kind of track through verse by verse. I can't really do that with this narrative. What I'm going to do is I'm going to start with sort of an excursus on the dinosaurs I've been promising you. And then we're going to take a creation scientific exploration through the key components of the flood narrative. How did it end up like the Bible says it ended up? So with that being in mind, I'd like you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. If you remember the illustration I left you with last week, I've got some Sophia glitter shining in my eyes. She's wearing a cute little dress. Uh, She might give us an amen here in a little bit, which is awesome. One thing I thought when I held her this morning after preaching the first service, I thought, how crazy does somebody really have to be to think that something like this arose from goo? It just takes way too much faith and lunacy to believe that the precious gift of our children and grandchildren just arose from the slime and the sludge. It's utter foolishness, friends. You can believe that. I called it in the first service, my prerogative. And I said, uh, that was from Paul Abdul. Now, uh, my wife, who knows more about that heathen music, told me it was actually Bobby Brown. So, (laughs) Paul Abdul was straight up, right? I'm gonna be straight up with you today. Genesis 7, uh, 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I've seen that you're righteous before me in this generation. And you shall take with you seven, we talked about that, of every kind of animal. Notice the binary all throughout. A male and his female, two of each animal that are unclean, a male and his female. Also seven each of the birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of all the earth. For after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. And he was 600 years old when the flood waters were on the earth. And so Noah with his sons, his wife, his son's wives went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. And of the clean animals, of animals that are unclean, of birds and of everything that creeps on the earth, two by two, they went into the ark to Noah, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. And then the sixth, this is really important, second half of 11, it gives you very specific detail. In the 600th year of Noah's life in the second month, in the 17th day of the month, on that day, watch, all the foundations, or I've been saying that, fountains, the fountains, um, and we're going to go back in language to Genesis. Genesis 1 on this, fountains of the great deep were broken up 
and the windows of heaven were open. So two things are going on there. And the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And on the very same day, this is, remember, a repetition. On the very same day, uh, Noah, Noah's sons, now specifically Shem, Ham, Japheth, and Noah's wife and three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind, all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort. And so they went into the ark to Noah, two by two, of all flesh, in which is the breath of life. That would be different than the marine animals, right? And so of those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord Yahweh shut him in. Now the flood was on the earth 40 days and the waters increased and lifted up the ark and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters and the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth and now it starts with high hills. There's something changing though in the geography. It starts with all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered and then the waters prevailed, watch this, 15 cubits upward and the mountains were covered. So we have this elevation. And all the flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and cattle and beasts, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, and every man. And all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, all that was on the dry land died. And so God destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air, and they were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Lord, thank you for this account. It really does explain so much of our world and, the why, thing, and why things are the way they are. In human history, Lord, it's only been very, very recently in the grand scheme of things that man has thought himself so wise and so smart to have figured out our origins without God. And yet we see that it takes far more actually blind faith to believe in many things that are being crammed down our throat these days than just taking you at your word. It really does match reality. I pray for believers today that you would shore us up in the faith and for unbelievers that you would draw them closer. And I pray for everyone that we would see you are a good God with a perfect plan and that you are a God who saves. We too can experience your salvation today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As you're being seated, the cool thing was we were gonna have more baptisms today. We have a baptistry heater issue and so we didn't wanna freeze the, the, the baptismal candidates to death, but we will have quite a few more baptism on the horizon. And as we saw Wednesday night, we were celebrating tons of new folks in the family. And it was really cool because somebody came up to me between services about surrendering their life to Christ. And I, I get that today is maybe not what you're used to in a preaching scenario, but I want you to understand what we read, we can believe. And we don't have to do gymnastics with the evidence. We really can believe what we read and what we see. And here's what I want us to understand fundamentally today. This is point two. The world is underwater because sin is deadly serious, right? I don't want to insult the intelligence of anyone who's already fairly biblically illiterate, but may I remind you that prior to sin, death was not in the world. 
I'll explain more thoroughly later. Genesis 2.17, Adam, eat of all these trees, but don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day you eat of it, you will indeed surely truly die. The strongest type of language that Hebrew offered you in the day, you will absolutely die. Now clearly that didn't mean physical death, but it meant you will be separated from me. This will happen instantaneously. And then it also eventually leads to physical death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. James 1.15, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. That's what I was talking to our upper school students about on a panel Thursday. We were talking about same-sex attraction. And I reminded our kids that attraction is not action. But when desire conceives, as it did with Adam and Eve, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when fully grown, brings death. So what we have now all over the world is death. Let me show you what it's not. Remember this picture from last week. This is not a children's fairy tale. This is not a giraffe sticking his head out of the boat going, this is a lot of fun. It's not a Barney episode. It is God's great judgment on the sin of mankind. And I get it, right? We're not going to plaster people drowning on our kids' walls. But at the same time, we have to help our children and our students and us adults. Remember, if you choose to be a Christian evolutionist, and I find that to be highly oxymoronic, you cannot believe what the Bible says about death's entrance into the world. You have to twist the scripture to your own thinking rather than molding your thinking by the scripture. And so again, I'll I'll sort of come back to this in a moment, but I'm going to spend some time talking about why it's so critical to understand the evidence. Let me start with dinosaurs. I keep promising you this. This is an excursus, but it's intentional. I'm going to use some information from Answers in Genesis and some other places and uh, some articles and books from the early 2000s all the way up to 2021. And I want to read a few things to you. I I do think that guys like Ken Ham are right in this sense. Um, Y'all know who Ken Ham is, by the way? Creation Research Institute, the Ark Encounter. Uh, We're taking a group to the Ark in early May. If you want to sign up, information's coming soon. Uh, We're going to pay your transportation. All you need is a little spending money for food, and we're going to get your tickets at a discounted price. We're going to take the first 81 children and adults that sign up. Uh, You're out one day of school already, and and, uh, head of school, Mr. Mercer, has our pastor, Matt, has already agreed to give you credit for the second day. Thank you, Matt. I hope you agreed. I think you did. Uh, We said that the other day in a meeting. Uh, No, you're going to get to go and have the Ark Encounter and see some of this for yourself. But here's what I want to, um, to start with here. Dinosaurs are often used more than almost anything else to indoctrinate children and adults to the idea of millions of years of earth history, and often an earth history without God. But the Bible gives us a framework for explaining dinosaurs in terms of thousands, or I'm not young earth, I'm younger earth. I could be comfortable with tens of thousands, but I would just say thousands to tens of thousands of years versus millions of years. So, are dinosaurs a mystery? Many think that the existence and demise of dinosaurs are a mystery. 
And even scientists all over the world disagree. When were they here? How were they here? How did they die off? I do not personally think they've all died off. And I think the evidence is overwhelming that we do see dinosaur evidence around us. But according to evolutionary theorists, dinosaurs first evolved around 235 million years ago, long before man evolved, meaning dinosaurs and humans never coexisted except in Jurassic Park. Dinosaurs first evolved and uh, humans did not live with them. History is recorded in fossil layers on earth deposited over millions of years, so they say. And so the dinosaurs were so successful as a group of animals that supposedly they eventually ruled the earth. However, around 65 million years ago, something, we don't know what, something catastrophic happened to change all of this and the dinosaurs, they would say, disappeared. I disagree. Most evolutionists believe some sort of cataclysmic event, i.e. an asteroid impact or something, killed the dinosaurs. But many evolutionists claim that dinosaurs evolved into birds. If you've never seen that graphic, I would encourage you to Google it. It's hysterical and it takes way more faith than I have to buy it. But that the dinosaurs are now are flying over our heads. And when you see your little robin in your backyard today eating at your bird feeder, that's actually a T-Rex from long ago. There is no mystery, however, involving dinosaurs if we simply take the Bible at its word. But dinosaurs existed when other animals existed. They were created with other animals. In fact, Adam and Eve were made on day six. Dinosaurs were made on day six. They lived at the same time as people. Otherwise, how can you possibly explain fossil records where dinosaur bones, fossils, coexist in the same strata, in the same level as human? Their evidence is becoming overwhelming that these time frames are simply not True, dinosaurs existed. However, with death and bloodshed and disease and suffering all coming as a result of Adam's sin, it's very clear, Genesis 1, Romans 5, 1 Corinthians 15, things changed. Dinosaurs were not born meat eaters. You say, no, 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 no. look at their teeth, look at their teeth, look at the great panda. It has carnivorous teeth and yet it's primarily herbivorous. Don't give me bogus science. When death enters the pictures, dinosaurs do begin to eat flesh. So we'll, we'll talk about how that shifted in a little bit. But the point is, early on, dinosaurs and humankind shared this world. Representatives of all kinds of air-breathing land animals, including dinosaurs, went aboard Noah's Ark. Those left outside of the Ark died in cataclysmic circumstances of the flood, explaining why it appears that many look as though they lived millions of years ago. After the flood, some thousands of years ago, the remnant of land animals, including dinosaurs, came off the Ark, living in the present world. But because of sin and the judgments of curse and flood, the earth is changed. A post-earth climate change, lack of food, disease, man's activity caused many of these land-bearing largest animals to die away. Why do we still see gigantic animals in the sea? Because not all of the marine life died away in the flood. Some survived. So why do we have such radically different views? Where an evolutionist would deny the Bible's account, yet a creationist would look at the same fossil record and say, wait a minute, how can we be so different so far away? Well, because scientists today are often working with present record dinosaur, dinosaur fossils that exist today, and they're trying to connect those fossils to the past. And so they ask questions like, what happened to wipe them out and to leave so many fossilized? 
And so what we have is really the difference in what oftentimes creationists call historical or origin science and observational science. We were taught in school observational science. I'm gonna create a hypothesis, I'm gonna test something, I'm gonna repeat it, and then I'm gonna draw conclusions. Friends, you can't do that with creation, nor can you do that with uh, the flood. You can't recreate it. The best we have are local narratives, local accounts, and I'm gonna show you one at the end today that I hope will seal the deal in your heart and mind. But the point is this, computers, food uh, genetics, space exploration, electricity and the like work on one type of science. Origins are really different, not repeatable. We attempt to reconstruct the past, but even those who study fossils, paleontologists, have many diverse views on dinosaurs. In fact, in the last few decades, the evidence is overwhelming that paleontologists can't seem to agree about much of anything. As has been said, quote, paleontology or the study of fossils is much like politics. Passions run high and it's very easy to draw different conclusions from the same set of facts. Paleontologists and politicians. Now, I love some of you because some of you have told me you're studying paleontology as a Christian. God bless you. Let's get some truth out there in the world. Were dinosaurs on the ark? Absolutely. Today, there are about 668 named dinosaurs. And, and maybe even now, we could study and find only about 55 different kinds. Again, if Noah were to have juveniles, young representatives of pairs, male and female, it's not even close to being absurd to think that they could have been on the ark, separated because we already know there were compartments built on the ark, right? Think about it. Dogs, wolves, coyotes from a single kind, the canine kind. Yes, my doodle people, many of you have written me, many of you have showed me pictures. Praise God for you. You're a strange bunch. You don't have to have 60 doodle types on the ark. Have we got that clear? You have the canine type, you have the horse type, which would incorporate horses and zebras and donkeys, etc. Noah was clearly able to fit all of the animals on the size ark we read about in the Bible, including dinosaurs. The Bible is reliable. We do not have to have a blind faith to believe in the ark or to believe in dinosaurs, nor do we have to have a blind faith to say, yeah, many did go extinct, but many thousands and even tens of thousands of other animals have gone extinct. The world has changed. The world is changing. And yet God had a plan all along. And God takes sin seriously. This is not a fairy tale. What happens? 40 days and 40 nights of rain, gigantic upheavals and shiftings of the earth crust, causing ocean floors to rise and break up the reservoirs of subterranean waters. We all know there's subterranean water. Any of you that grew up in the country like I did, you've seen old, the old timers out there with the sticks. Anybody that grew up in the country like I did knew when you're going to buy land, you better make sure it perks. You better make, it's not like the city water we have here today, right? You country folk that drink well water, you know what I'm talking about. There are subterranean waters. There are veins of untold resources and reservoirs of water. And the Bible is very clear. These things came to the surface for a period. And you said, well, well, pastor, you were saying last week in this mega continent that it broke up and it happened quickly. But I learned in school that the tectonic shifting and the continental drift has taken millions and millions and millions of years. That's because you're looking at the end of the roller coaster, man. 
Things are slowing down. I'm telling you it was cataclysmic and it was faster. And when I read the Bible as it is written without any hocus pocus, it's very clear to me that the surface of the earth, the manner of life, the longevity of life, the climate, it's all changed as the fountains or the springs of the deep come up. In fact, if you look at verse 11, and the fountains or the springs of the deep, the great deep are broken up. And the windows of heaven were opened. That word deep, that word right there in the Hebrew is the exact same word used in Genesis 1-2. Now the earth was formless and empty and, uh, formless and empty, and darkness, look at this, was over the surface of the deep. Now listen. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The word deep in the Hebrew translates almost to this, immeasurable depth. The concept is this was a water world. In its initial creation, this was a water world. But then God gives us the mega or metacontinent, the dry land, and then the dry land begins to crack and have plate shift and it begins to have upheaval and then certain parts go much higher. We see that evidenced in our own state. And even higher still around the world with 29 plus thousand feet now to the top of Mount Everest, the highest peak above sea level. And what we find is that the earth changed dramatically. It came down and it came up. Was there enough water just coming down? No, I don't think so. And I even tend to hold a little closer to a water vapor canopy theory than most. I'm not saying that's what happened. I wasn't there, I don't know. But it could have been that there was a water canopy around the earth protecting inhabitants from harmful, aging, cancerous rays of the sun. Could have been that a mist was on the ground to water the earth. All of this language is in Genesis 1. It could have been, as we read in Genesis 1, 6, and 7, God said, let there be an expanse or firmament, a space between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the firmament and separated water under the firmament to the water above the firmament. It seems to indicate that a great quantity of water was suspended above the earth, similar to a greenhouse effect. Now, I'm not saying that's definitive, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. What I am saying is that God clearly gave us atmospheric water and earth water or even subterranean water. We know that, that still exists today. But imagine not only the rains going down, but the waters coming up. So I've written it like this, a tremendous amount of water came down 40 days and 40 nights. I don't believe that was enough to cover everything, but also a tremendous amount of water came up. Imagine water boiling up from below our feet and all of that subterranean water rising at one time in a cataclysmic flood, then establishing the hills, the valleys, the mountaintops, the gorges, the canyons. The Bible says the fountains were broken up. Think about this. Some years ago during a trip to our own Great Smoky Mountains, the, an editor and his family visited the Sequoia Caverns in northern Georgia. It's just across the border from Chattanooga. Inside the caverns, the guide pointed out fish bones of all shapes and sizes pressed into the ceiling of a passageway between two caverns. He said the same kinds of fossils could be seen in the main cavern, which was about 50 feet high. And they, among the fish fossils in the passageway, check this out, was the imprint of the bottom of a human foot pressed into the rock. Now, 
As a strong Christian, the guide said, there is only one explanation to have such massive pressure and water force to press human fossilization and a human footprint into the ceiling. A flood of tremendous and unprecedented pressure and likely depth. What would you do if the sky opened up and it was raining beyond anything you've ever seen? What would you do? You would likely seek shelter. If in seeking that shelter, you were trapped in a cavern or in a cave structure and the water not only came from above you but below you, what happens? The pressure of such an event creates a fossil record, an imprint that cannot be explained over millions and millions of years. The universal flood has changed everything. But, but why does it have to be universal? Don't some Christians believe it was a localized flood? Some Christians say they believe it was a localized flood. They're wrong. You cannot believe merely a localized flood. The language of the Bible doesn't allow you to have that errant belief. The language of the Bible is universal language. And I would simply say this, a universal problem such as sin leads to a universal uh, punishment such as the flood. One commentator wrote, see, the Lord sets in motion the uncreation of the world by releasing powers that always stand ready to overwhelm life. The waters once separated will now be rejoined for the purpose of destruction. Earth's disruption is comprehensive. All the waters of the great deep came forth. The immense floodwaters involved the flow of waters below and from above, indicating the complete transformation of the terrestrial structures. Now, I have read a bunch of scientific and pseudoscientific articles that have claimed where these fossils came from, but I'm gonna just show y'all something. Thanks to Ed Main for allowing me to borrow some of his collection here. He's received these from all over the world. I'm gonna show you a few things that are truly mind-numbing if you'll let it sink in for a minute. This is a black slate, and it doesn't look like much, and there's not much we can say about it, except we know that it takes extreme pressure to create this type of rock. And it can't just develop at altitude. It doesn't work that way. And yet, we found, this was found, this exact piece of slate, on the very top, the summit of Mount Everest, some 29,000 feet high. Now, modern science would have you and I falsely believe that over millions and even hundreds of millions of years that Everest rose from the ground. They would even tell you it was below sea level. But over time, it's just kept pushing up. Listen to me. You need more than hundreds of millions. You need more than billions of years to raise up something like Everest. And to put something like this that took so much pressure to make is absurd. But let's get a little bit more detailed because something else I find very interesting is that on all of the great peaks of the world, you'll find things like I'm gonna show you. It looks like a rock. It is apparently intact. In fact, it was intact until... This is found in the Himalayas, some 16 to 18,000 feet above sea level. It appears intact until it's broken open. And to a paleontologist's delight, what is found inside is an aquatic fossil. Now, <laughs> friends, please tell me you are smart enough to know that aquatic life doesn't reside 16 to 18,000 feet above sea level.
that marine life is not found there. And this doesn't happen. This clear, can y'all see that well on the camera? This clear, clean formation doesn't happen over millions of years. Why? If this animal dies and is not almost instantaneously covered over, an instantaneous pressure beginning to form, you don't get what we see here. In fact, we have other examples just like it, and not just the Himalayas, everywhere in the world you can find this on the highest of hills, at the greatest of peaks. What it does indicate is that at one time something cataclysmic happened. That marine life, that there was a great shift forming the hills and the mountains, and that marine life, in fact, did get elevated quickly. But that upon the recension of that, and you had tremendous pressures, by the way. So imagine this tremendous water, tremendous pressure, such pressure. Don't, aren't we taught that diamonds take millions of years to form? Aren't we taught that? Millions of years to form a diamond. And yet, now in a lab, your diamond can be grown almost instantly. And ladies, if you have one of those, congratulations. It, the point is, that diamond is gonna fool the best of jewelers because it's created with high pressure in a short time, not just medium pressure over a long time. That coal turning can happen quickly. Again, over and over and over again, we can find marine life and early examples of things that lived in the sea. This one's even fossilized all the way around. We can find examples of this. One of the most fascinating to me is a piece of the ground removed from the Himalayas and Dale got this earlier for me so I'll, I'll hold it real still can you guys see the strata in that rock meaning the layers do y'all see it on the screen can y'all see it okay some of them are already asleep on that side so we'll make sure what are we taught in school about the strata Layer after layer after year after century after millennia after millions of years. Again, this happens about 18,000 feet up and it shows that this was once bottom of the seafloor. What we actually have here is a piece of soil created now into rock by intense pressure moved, shifted from the bottom to the top. Now, you can't be so crazy as to think over millions and millions and millions of years, this has been rising up. Otherwise, the heights of these things would be so enormous, there would be no explanation. In fact, the very fact that it's in the middle and not in the top, not always at the top peak, but in the middle layers and at the lower layers says something cataclysmic, something quick happened on this earth. And more and more people are beginning to say, wait a minute, the evidence of time, chance, and matter doesn't add up. So what are some of the new theories that are being postulated? You often see theories come out in Hollywood before anywhere else because they gotta try to get us to normalize it so that we can one day swallow it. What are some of the theories being espoused? Our planet was actually seeded from a higher intelligence. And so we were seated here from a race out there. Haven't you seen movies like that now? Where the aliens did it? 
where we're actually just part and product of greater intelligence. But the thing is, the community never ever wants to say that the intelligence is God. And you don't need that much faith to believe this. What you need to do is come back and say, was there a major event that explains why I can find fish and snail and other things way up high? Was there something that happened? on the face of the globe that changed things dramatically. Yes, yes there was. And I want you to remember, if you don't believe this was a universal flood, you're calling God a liar. Genesis 9:11. Thus I established my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again, shall be a, never again shall there be a flood to destroy all earth. Univer, uh, localized flooding destroys everyone and everything in its path if you can't get out of harm's way. We've lived in it. We've seen it. We've been there when the entire landscape has been changed. But a universal flood is what the Bible speaks of. And it's given us a record that is explicable if we stay with the text. But I've got a question for you. I didn't really even think about it until I was coming into this chapter. When it says all flesh died in 21, and, and God, of course, judged the birds, the cattle, the creeping things, etc. When it talks about all of them, why did God do that? I mean, human beings had sinned, and yes, the whole world was paying the price of our sin, and yes, animals did begin to eat each other. Yes, they did, actually. Uh, in fact, I'll give you a quick note. Pre-sin, animals and people are vegetarian, okay? Pre-sin. Post-sin, animals begin to eat meat. They begin to eat one another. Post-flood, humans begin to do so as well. If you choose to go back to a pre-flood, I'm fine. If you're a vegetarian or a vegan, that's your prerogative. I think that's where I said that last time. That's Bobby Brown. Right. How did you know that? You're a child of the 80s uh, uh, or 90s. That's, um, no, you're a child of the 2000s. You're 25. So it's um, pre-sin, animals were vegetarian. Post-sin, animals ate meat. Post-flood, humans begin to do so as well. How you choose to eat today, that's between you and the Lord. The point is, God exercised wisdom and judgment in not only taking out humanity on the land, but animal kind on the land. Let me tell you why. When you think about it, what if this one family of eight people had survived and the same number of land animals were still alive? God would have had to supernaturally lift them off the earth because they couldn't have survived in the water. But what if God had chosen to do that? Well, what you would have had was one human family, extended family, overwhelmed by the number of animals on the earth. So when God radically thins the human population, simultaneously, God radically thins the animal population. In his recreation, much like in his first creation, God starts with a few and says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. God killed out the whole earth as a reset. And one day, according to Isaiah 11, places in Revelation, one day even the wolf will lie down with the lamb. And it means he won't eat him. It doesn't mean for a lamb breakfast. It means the wolf will lie down with the lamb. Why does God say that? Because that's the way it was pre-sin. Pre-sin, it looked different. It was different. Sin changed everything. As the narrative closes in 24, we have an awe-inspiring picture of the mighty waters covering the earth.
We have this primeval state at the dawn of creation where if you had a big spotlight from outer space and you just shined it on the planet, it would look just like it did before God made the land and separated it from the waters. It would look just like it did in that moment except for one difference. Riding high above the highest hills. And why 15 cubits above the highest? Because the boat has draft. I spoke of that. How much water has to be, how much of the boat has to be underwater to keep the boat afloat? That's what we call draft in the boating world. And so it had to float above the highest hills and the highest peaks, which were now getting higher and higher in the pressures and in the turmoil of the year that would follow the beginning of the flood. And so for 150 days pre-recension, the water is covering the planet. And if you were to take a photo from space, you might, if you zoomed in just enough, you might see one tiny, relatively speaking, little hope. One tiny arc, one door, one salvation for everything that there is. This is the gospel. When the world is underwater, make sure you're in the boat. And the world is underwater because sin is deadly serious. I wanna close with this story. It was submitted in May of 2000 to some newspapers to commemorate the 20th anniversary of the eruption of Mount St. Helens in America's Pacific Northwest. Can I ask a question? I, I did this in the first hour. How many of you remember, I, it was 80, so I don't remember it, I was five. How many of you remember the eruption of Mount St. Helens? Okay, y'all can, okay, good, all right. So I'm not making this stuff up. What I got here is Ken Ham visiting Mount St. Helens. He's the CEO of Answers in Genesis and the Creation Museum in Ark Encounter. I told you we're going uh, before long. And, and this is what Ham said, and then I'm gonna add a few things. He said, it's hard to believe May 18th, 1980, right where I stood, incredibly hot swirling gases and debris from the explosion had devastated the landscape as the energy equivalent to 4 million tons of TNT went off, approximately 33,000 Hiroshima-sized atomic bombs. Now imagine for a moment that much energy. It totally changed the once beautiful landscape. Now what he was looking at 20 years later in the year 2000 from 1980's explosion, he said, it was as barren as the surface of the moon. What struck him even more was that the study of the eruption and its after effects challenged the very foundations of evolutionary theory. Now, in the grand scheme of the world, Mount St. Helens was a relatively small localized event. I know it didn't feel that way for those around the area. But, but Ham said, I realized that if a small explosion could cause such catastrophic events, what if there were such explosions worldwide? I was thinking because the Genesis account in Genesis 7:11 talks about that all the fountains, the, the great deep, they were all broken up. And so you can almost picture this insane, prolific volcanic activity happening all at one time. He says, I believe that this is a reference to great volcanic activity, which must have been cataclysmic. In fact, all over our globe, there's evidence that in the past, there's been much more volcanic activity than in the present. Some are even arguing, by the way, if you've not studied this, I'm reading on it this week, this past week, some are even arguing that climate change and much of what we're saying is due to human activity, some of which may be, but some are saying we've not really thoroughly studied the under the ocean volcanic activity increases in our day where water temps are going up, not so much from the air down, but from the volcanoes up. That's an interesting hypothesis, I'm not sure. 
But the point being that he makes is this. The events associated with the volcano's explosion accomplished in seconds, hours, or a few days geologic work that would normally be interpreted to have taken hundreds or millions of years. There was, in fact, the formation of a canyon that did not exist heretofore. It's called the Little Grand Canyon. It's about 100 feet deep, and it was somewhat wider. It was about 140th the scale of what we know as the Grand Canyon, the Mighty Canyon. The canyon, the Little Grand Canyon, was formed one day from a mud flow. A newly formed river then flowed through the canyon that was cut out by the mud in the rock. Now, Ham says, I remember being taught in school, when you saw a canyon with a river running through it, you assumed that the river took a long time to erode the canyon. Isn't that what we were all taught? It took many, 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 many years and it worked its way down and the river, the water is cutting through the rock, the soil, the sediment layers. Ham said, my teachers though, not having known what happened at Mount St. Helens, would have soon discovered that the same thing happened almost instantaneously. The erosion of this canyon enabled scientists to see some layers that were laid down. What astonished them were features like this, a 25 foot thick deposit that consisted, listen, of thousands upon thousands of thin layers. Just like the little sediment rock I showed you, we've all been taught, most likely, unless you grew up in a Christian school, which I did not, but we've all been taught that that kind of thing may take millions of years to form, though there are evidence in many places of trees and other things standing through all these supposed millions of years of sedimentary layer. But he says this, people all around the world have been indoctrinated by evolutionists who believe the layers of the Grand Canyon took millions of years to be laid down. And this belief of millions, if not billions of years is foundational evolutionary thinking. But what happened at Mount St. Helens is powerful challenge to the belief. There's evidence that when we accept the flood narrative, God in this could have accomplished extraordinary geologic work, carving out canyons and laying down multiplied layers of sediment in massive quantities in a short period of time. Now here's what I find fascinating. In the same way that universities are beginning to say there's too much complexity for evolutionary theory to be true. What they're doing is this. As technology allows us to see further and further down into the cellular level, and as we get, now we're not at the quantum level of visual sight, but as we get into the cellular level, what we're not seeing is simplicity. The assumption of evolutionary theory is simplicity at the singular cell level that then multiplies and gets more complicated to get the systems we now see. What we're actually learning is that the more we get small, the more complicated and complex the system becomes. And it simply could not have existed by a combination of time, chance, and matter, and even natural selection. And so what happens here is scientists, geologists, paleontologists, evolutionists, and creationists alike are beginning to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe the Grand Canyon was not so much created by a smaller amount of water over long periods of time as it was created by massive amounts of water over a shorter period of time. Now the science is changing and there's a lot that are beginning to say well maybe there was a cataclysmic waterborne event that carved this through the mountain well we know what that's called Noah's flood we know that the bible is true and if you have to cut out genesis then why don't you just cut out revelation 
And if you have to cut the front and the back, why not cut Jesus out? Because Jesus Christ himself believed in the veracity, the historicity, meaning the truthfulness and the historical reliability of Noah and the flood narrative. You can't tell me Jesus is a good teacher and Jesus is the son of God and your savior if you don't believe his words. And Jesus believes Genesis. And so what I want us to know is this. A storm is brewing. We're called to be prepared. And God will never do it this way. But if we see a tide of sin like a universal flood, we might conclude, even in 2023, it's getting dangerously close, that the world is underwater. Stand with me this morning as Pastor Jeff comes. I know it's not a traditional message, but I want you to get a sense in which the Word of God really does match reality. And for those of you that have never lived in an area where a true, devastating, overwhelming flood has occurred. In fact, if you are down in the New Orleans area, our conventions in New Orleans this summer will be back. It is incredible to me that there are entire wards around New Orleans that are still not rebuilt post-Katrina. If any of you did work down there, if any of you went into that environment, you saw how radically, now imagine there were no cleanup efforts. You saw how radically a local flood could change fundamentally everything about an area. And I want to remind us that God's not going to do this again in the same way. But just as fast as that earthquake hit Turkey, Syria, just as fast as their buildings started to shake, my friends, the Lord could come back. And I know that I know that I know that I'm his child. Not because I understand everything about the flood. I don't. There's so much I studied that I don't understand. There's so many answers that I don't have. But by faith, I believe what the word says and that God did it. And I believe God takes sin seriously. And I believe Jesus is the only ark, the only hope, the only door. And if you are not certain today of your salvation, would you please come? Would you please nail it down? Would you please be a prayer warrior for somebody who needs Christ? For somebody who's claiming evolutionary theory is why they don't believe in God? Would you please love them and share the truth that the world of religion and the world of science are not in two spheres, that God is a God of all truth. We have nothing to fear. We have nothing to be ashamed of. Noah's flood is not a cute children's book. It's a real historical event. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.